Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who is the greatest? The best student, the greatest athlete, the greatest school, the best looking, the funniest, the most sincere. Who is the greatest? Have you ever heard the expression, second place is the first loser? You ever heard that? (laughs) Well, the disciples were a lot like us in how they defined what greatness really is. They wanted to be the best at what they were passionate about. If they knew they couldn't be the best, they at least didn't want to be the worst. Kind of like going through school, I always knew that I was never going to be valedictorian. But at least I wasn't as bad as some people. And I always pointed that out to my parents. I, like everybody else, wanted to be valued and I wanted to be seen as special. Our hope is that other people when they look at us, we'll see some piece of greatness. We want to be remembered for being good at something. We want to prove to and convince others of our greatness. But true greatness, however, does not have to defend its worth. True greatness instead serves others. Now, Jesus was teaching the disciples. He was saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. What he was doing, he was teaching his disciples the work that he would do for them and for the rest of the world. He would later tell them that this action was true love laying down his life for his friends. Jesus would die so that the disciples, and even you and I, 2,000 years later, would be forgiven of their sins. He was truly God, and he gave up everything, his place in heaven, to serve his creation. This was true greatness. But at the time, the world, but at the time, the world nor the disciples saw Jesus' actions as great. By the time that Jesus said the words, it is finished, by the time he accomplished what he came to do, there were only four people that had not abandoned him. Imagine the whole world whittled down to four. Only four followers were not ashamed of him and his work. John, Jesus' mother, and two other women, they alone saw greatness in Jesus. Now, how do we define greatness? Now, if we're thinking of great pastors or great teachers, we rarely think of faithfulness and teaching, but we rather think of congregations' numbers. 
When we think of greatness in business and career, we rarely think of faithfully showing up to work on time, being honest, and serving our bosses as unto the Lord. No, in the business world, we think of greatness in terms of financial success, what we can get for ourselves. And when we look at somebody's paycheck, we say, wow, that person is successful. They're great. Or they never really made much of themselves. When we think of a successful student, we rarely think of the person who refrains from cheating even if it means getting a lower grade. No, we only see greatness if the results are good marks, no matter how we get there. This world defines greatness by who gets ahead of the rest. Greatness is the one who has the most power. The disciples, they were no different. They wanted power as well. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about when he talked about laying down one's life for others. When Jesus talked about the death and resurrection, Mark writes that they did not understand the same and they were afraid to ask him. They're like, what are you talking about? We want the kingdom and we want to sit at your right hand. So they just forgot about it and went on with their own dreams of self-fulfillment and grandeur. We do the same thing. We hear about how Jesus laid down his life for us and we don't often understand how this should have an effect on the way we live our lives. We hear that Jesus died for me and then we leave here and we try to promote ourselves in such a way that others would think that we're better than them. I don't know if you've ever gotten in a conversation where somebody tells a story, they sound pretty great, and instead of us saying, wow, that is awesome, we, we then think of another story in which it makes ourselves at least equal to or greater than their story. Have you ever done that? I have. I have. But Jesus was aware of this tendency in his disciples and in us. So he asked his disciples, What were you discussing along the way? They kept silent. When it was really brought out, they were a little ashamed of what they were doing. It says, Because they, on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And they weren't thinking about Jesus. They were thinking about each other. They fell into the sin that James talked about in our epistle lesson. They had bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in their hearts. And James warns that where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and their every vile practice. God's word in James could have asked the disciples just as it asked us. What quarrels and what fights do you have among you? What are the causes? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
You desire and you do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. When all of us are looking out for number one, none of us is truly great. Even if we appear great to others, we're selfish sinners. We shouldn't rest in the praise and the adulation of others, but rather we should use whatever gifts that God has given us through his death and resurrection to lift up others. Now, Jesus didn't scold his disciples, although he could have said, are you kidding me, guys? What have we been doing this whole time? But he didn't scold them. And this is good for us to hear as well, because we care more about ourselves than other people, just like the disciples did. No, Jesus did not scold them, but instead he sat down and he called the twelve together. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Now when we think of children, we don't think of greatness. We think of dependence. My son is fully righteous because of God's forgiveness given to him in his baptism. But he is also a sinner according to his flesh. He may have moments of thinking that he is great. He's two years old. But he deep down knows that he is truly dependent on his mom and dad. The one who is great in the kingdom of heaven realizes that he is dependent on Jesus for every good thing in his life. The person who is truly great recognizes the fact that he is the farthest thing away from great. And he, he's the farthest thing away that you could ever imagine from great. And no matter how great we think we are, we are always this, totally dependent on God. We are dependent on the saving work of this slave named Jesus. May his love for us change our definition of greatness. May his love for us that we need change us into people who see greatness in those that the world calls the least. Holy Spirit, show us that we are by your work tr truly the least of these. We pray that by your word you would point us to the only great one, 
that he would have that we would have life and salvation overflowing in service to all. I want to give one word of warning. The world may not appreciate your service. Jeremiah in our Old Testament lesson served his neighbor with the word of God and they rejected him for it. He writes, I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. Against me, they devised schemes. But you see, Jeremiah was no greater than his master, and neither are we. The world rejected the greatest person that ever lived, and they hung him on a tree. But Jesus' greatness was not the world's definition of greatness. And neither is his followers. We see all of our worth in this, the one who died for us and still serves the world through his forgiven people. Now, if they reject us, know that it is because we bear the name of Jesus. And that is the greatest name, the name above all other names. It is the saving name that we have placed our hope in. And now the peace that comes from the name of Jesus. Guard your hearts and minds until he returns for you. Amen. We rise as we sing the offertory.